What do you do if you've been podcasting for months, but you want to take a break? What do you do in that break? And can you change your direction when you come back? That's what my guest in this episode, Dear Menopause host, Sonia Luffell did. In this episode, you're going to hear why she took a break, what she did to prepare her listeners, plus how she niched down on her return. We also talk about her podcast and what listeners can get from her show. My name is Alison Fraser. I'm a podcast coach helping women create podcasts to boost their business. I've been a journalist for 25 years, a podcast fan since 2008, and I host two shows of my own. Women Who Podcast is the show that shares real life stories and actionable tips so you can create a podcast that works for you. Welcome on Sonia Lovell, all the way from Australia by way of New Zealand. So good to hear from you. Hi, Alison. Thank you for having me. I'm just, yeah, I'm all about what your topic is right now. I guess a lot of people who listen to the show are also in this stage of life where, you know, not quite the change, but, you know, perimenopause, menopause, all those things are now a lot more on our radar than what they used to be. So can you tell us about Dear Menopause and how you came up with this podcast? Absolutely. I can talk about Dear Menopause to the cows come home. Okay. So I came up with the idea of doing a pod um, because I wanted to be able to reach as many women and people in general, basically, as possible, as quickly as possible. And I had had a podcast previously with a friend. So I had a little bit of experience of, of podcasting, but it was like, literally, I think we did 10 episodes and it was quite some time ago when podcasts were like, I don't think even Apple podcasts existed at the time. And so I knew that I loved podcasting. I love talking like seriously, all my school reports said Sonia talks too much. So I was able to put that to good use by doing a podcast. And I also love interviewing people and I love hearing other people's stories. And I am a fierce advocate for sharing our stories in a way that other people can learn from them. So I knew that there was two things I wanted to do with the podcast. I wanted to interview experts on menopause, perimenopause, any aspect around that. I didn't want to have any filter. I didn't want to have anything that was taboo. This topic has been taboo for far too long. It was like time to rip that bandaid right off. And I wanted to provide episodes that were educational. So I knew I wanted to do that kind of expert angle, but I also wanted to share the stories, the real life stories of the average woman so that my listeners were getting kind of, I guess, the best of both worlds. They were hearing from lived experience and they were learning from experts as well at the same time. And a podcast to me was just the logical way to be able to make that information free, make it accessible and enjoyable and entertaining. And in your pocket, like you can listen to a podcast anywhere, anytime. I'm a huge podcast consumer myself. And yeah, I just had a feeling it would work. And I was right. What have been the most popular topics that have come up for you? So my most downloaded topics, mental health. So there's a professor here in Australia, Professor J. Ashri Kani. I've heard her on twice and her topics continue every episode that she's on. It just sits right at the top of my download list constantly. 
The second one is nutrition. So I have a connection here in Australia, Angelique Clark, who is pretty much Australia's leading dietitian right now on perimenopausal nutrition for women. And I've done two episodes with her. And again, they bang straight to the top of the charts and stay there. One of the very, 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 very first episodes I did, and I was beside myself with excitement when I landed this interview, was with Ellie Dado, who had just published her book, Queen Menopause. So Ellie, for anyone that's maybe listening from a country that's not familiar with with Ellie, was a, oh gosh, she was a teenage heartthrob. Pretty much she was on the cover of Dolly magazines and she, you know, every girl wanted to be her. Every teenage girl wanted to be her. Every teenage boy wanted to be with her. And she went on to marry Cameron Daddo, who is one of the Daddo brothers. So the Daddo brothers from the 90s pretty much being the Hemsworths of today. So they became this very glamour couple. They you know, went off and lived in LA and did the whole modeling acting thing. Ellie is in fact now living in Australia and she's, you know, she's a mum. She's very down to earth and she's been very, very open about her menopause story. So I landed her as one of my first episodes and to this day, she continues to sit up in the top five as well. For me, like menopause, I guess that it happens to be the stage of life I am now. I'm in my late forties, well, I still say mid forties, but you know, forties, yeah, generation X. I never really heard anything when my mum was the age that I am now. Like, even like hearing her talk about it, she never talked about it. But now the people that I'm around, we talk about, there was someone, one of my friends who goes, oh, you know, I forget things all the time. I blame it on the menopause, you know, it's the menopause brain fog. And I've heard other people talk about menopause brain fog. And, you know, I, there's so many books around, like Dean, Davina McCall in the UK has got this big book about menopause. So what is it that makes that we're now talking about it now? Why is it so acceptable to be talking about this change that women go through? Yeah, that is a really good question. And interestingly, it's not always still acceptable. There is um, definitely corners of society where we still get pushback all the time. I now work alongside my advocacy work and my podcast. I work at an organization called Menopause Friendly Australia. And we provide workplace training and and different support for organizations, corporates. And when we speak publicly about menopause in the workplace, it's surprising how much pushback there still is there. And it's not always just from the men, from women as well. Particularly, we find older women from the generation above us that, you know, probably this, they sit in two camps. They either cruised through their perimenopause and their menopause without, you know, too much bother. And that is 20% of the population will actually just cruise through their perimenopause and their menopause. And the only thing they'll notice is their periods stop. And, you know, that's amazing for anybody that's able to have that experience. So they either sit in that camp or, you know, they, they did struggle and they had to do the hard work and not say a word to anyone. And therefore, Maybe there's a little bit of resentment that we are now this generation coming through, just literally pulling all the band-aids off and pulling up the rugs and saying, nah, you know what? This is actually really hard for some women and you, the patriarchy, (laughs) need to know about this. And there are ways that we can keep women in the workforce and there are ways that we can support our mothers and our daughters and our sisters and our, our aunts without, you know, having to keep it all on the down low in the quiet. So it is definitely talked about more. Is awareness is increasing every day, and 
you know, I kind of, I launched my podcast, it'll be two years in May 24 from when I launched past. And that was when I first decided that I wanted to move into this space and really step into being educational and informative and empowering for women around perimenopause. And I could see this wave kind of coming towards us here in this part of the world, coming from the likes of the Davina McCalls in the UK, you know, Dr. Louise um, and others. And then in the US as well, there've been some great um, spokeswomen there as well ahead of us. And I could kind of see it was like watching this wave come towards us, that things were going to change here. The conversation was going to open up, you know, policies were going to change, organizations were going to become more inclusive. And so I think that from our perspective down here, it's come off the coattails of the change that's happened in the countries before us. What spearheaded the change over there? So if, if we look at the UK, it was a woman called Diane Danzenbrink who launched a campaign going back now. I'm going to get this date wrong, but it's like 12 to 15 years ago. She launched a, camp, a huge campaign called um, Make Menopause Matter. And that came off the back of her personal experience where she suffered some significant mental health issues, became had suicidal ideation and I think she's a psychologist. She's, I know she's a doctor, but I have a feeling she's in the psychology field. And so when she was able to make the connection between what she was experiencing and the fact that she was in her menopausal years and then did some research, there is research out there that, you know, what, that predates all of these conversations. She took it upon herself to create this huge awareness campaign in the UK that ended up in Parliament and it was off the back of her campaign that they got menopause into the curriculum in the UK high schools. Wow. So it's not going to come as a big surprise when you hit that time. Whenever no, it exactly. ends. no, and, you know, it, it's just one of a number of transitions that women go through. You know, we, you know, we educate everyone on puberty and we prepare our daughters and our children for pu- puberty. You know, then there's our, our childbearing years. And then we're all book, bookended by menopause, but we just stopped talking about menopause. The other thing that happened, which has definitely played a part in taking menopause off the table conversationally for a lot of doctors, was the Women's Health Initiative, which was a, a study that was undertaken in the US back in the 90s. Oh, gosh, I've got my dates really wrong today. I should know that. But so they did this huge, huge study into HRT, basically, and they prematurely released some results from that study via a media. What's it called? When you make a statement through the media? Press release. Press release. Thank you. (laughs) And that they said at the time proved that HRT caused breast cancer and literally as a result overnight, Women globally threw away all of their HRT. They literally threw it in the bins, never took it again. Doctors stopped prescribing it and everyone stopped talking about it. They also stopped teaching it in the doctor's curriculum. And so there's been a lot of kind of roll on effects from that, that we're still just trying to get over now as well, because it has changed. HRT has changed. And that study's actually been debunked now and proven that they actually got that statement so so wrong wow and then you've got all of those that re-education to do which is even harder I mean, we've seen that in you know lots of different things around the world where 
you know, there have been errors like published and. Mm. Oh, it happens. Like we're humans. This was huge and it had, um, you know, global implications and it, it changed the quality of life for many, many, many women in the generation before us. Has it been easy for you to find the people to talk to for your podcast in this, this area of expertise? It actually has. And that surprised me. You know, I am a firm believer that the worst thing anybody can say to you is no, and that nobody actually dies from a no. So, you know, it's not that bad if someone says no. So I have always right from the beginning, been very forthright at reaching out to anyone that I felt was would make good content for my listeners, regardless of who they were and how, you know, high up the hierarchy they may be or how more educated I thought they were than me, because I always thought, well, the worst thing they can say is no. And I've been incredibly surprised, delighted and surprised at the yeses that I've got. I've got way more yeses than noes. Yeah, I think it's really interesting if you talk about the experts. So I've had professors and doctors, you know, research scientists, all of that sort of thing on they're often actually looking for a platform where they can share their stories because they're not they don't use social media here a lot of them a lot of these same experts in the UK and the US use social media hugely to their advantage and they build significant audiences and they create a really strong platform for their own voices here in Australia and New Zealand they don't do that and I'm yet to really understand why but they don't so they're often really actually grateful to have a platform where they can share their message and they can share their knowledge with as many you know listeners as possible. How many episodes had you done before you reached out to those people you thought would be the ones that would say no? You know, like you're the top, your dream guests. Oh, gosh, good question. I have to go back. I'm going to say, add a guess, about less than 10. Less than 10 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was some pretty big, like I, I've interviewed now a lot of overseas guests as well. I find it easier to get the overseas guests sometimes, probably because what we just spoke about with them being much more comfortable and familiar with social media, also more contactable through social media as well. So yeah, I, 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 I reached out to a few international people that I thought that I would get no's from and I got yeses um, very quickly. And yeah, considering my, my, podcast was really young. And I really, I mean, I, when I started, I'm not anybody, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I didn't come from the health field. I was a personal trainer. I guess I worked in the fitness industry, but you know, personal trainer, like you can go get a cert for and be a personal trainer. So from a qualification or a position of leadership point of view, I, no one knew who I was. I was just this person that decided to launch a podcast that was ballsy enough to ask for the interviews. The, the reason I ask was because a lot of us have a list, a dream list of guests that we'd like to have and, and can be afraid of reaching out to them for fear of that no. But you've proven that you can do it right from the beginning and to not be afraid of the no. As you say, what is the worst that can happen? Like nothing, really. You just move on to the next guy. Next exactly. Guy. You know, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go to bed that night wondering whether you could have got them. You know, you yeah. did or you didn't. And I bet those guests that you've had on have then been able to point you in the direction of other people that would be great for your show. 
Absolutely. I have made the most incredible connections just literally through the interviews that I've done. And I'm then able to leverage their little black book, if you like, and say, hey, you know what? I really want to talk about this topic. Who do you know that you can help put me in touch with? So my network has, oh my gosh, my network is huge now. Like, and yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Really, really grateful for that. And I'm, you know, I know how to leverage those relationships as well, but make it, you know, so that it works for both of us. Do you ask them at the end of your interview, is there anyone that you think would be good to come on my podcast? No, I haven't, but I think that's a really good question. I might have to steal that. So how do you do it then? If you haven't done that, what, how have you leveraged those relationships? Usually via email or social media conversations and in the DMs. Yeah. However, I was communicating with them to set the, to set the interview up. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've done that myself with my other podcast, Scottish at Heart. So I did an interview with someone who, he sounded really well connected because of the things he was talking about. And afterwards it was, is there anyone that you would be able to connect me to? I've actually started a dream list um, and he just said, send me a list. Send me a list and I'll see who I can connect you to. Right. Did he connect you with anyone? uh, That related in three, three connections. Okay. Yeah. And it was a small list. I'm, I'm still, I've got a dream guest on there, which I reckon I'll get to one day. I want to know who your dream guest is. I'll tell you off air because, you know, (laughs) you You never know. I might know them. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) So with your podcast, I've noticed that you have seasons. Did you decide to do seasons straight away or how did that come about? No, I did not, which is why my episode numbers don't change. So no, I... (laughs) I didn't start my podcast with much of a strategy other than knowing what I wanted to deliver. I didn't put enough thought in some respects into the impact that it would have on me from a time perspective, from an, you know, the amount of time that goes into, I still edit and produce all of my own podcasts. I don't have a team. I had to laugh once I did a TV interview recently and a lady emailed me afterwards and just had seen me on the TV and I replied and she me back and went, oh my God, I can't believe you actually replied to me. It's you, not one of your team. And I was like, God, honey, if only you knew, I do not have a team. It was so cute. But at the same time, I think reflective of how many perhaps people of influence or people that have a presence are actually surrounded by a team and I definitely am not. So the reason that I ended up taking Ray, and I think it was at episode 79. So I'd done 79 weeks straight. So, and actually it was a little, a little bit longer than that because I'd also done like bonus episodes along the way on different things that had kind of cropped up that I wanted to be outside of my normal schedule. So at episode 79, I called it the end of season one. And the reason that I did that was really because I was starting to suffer a little bit of burnout. I was tired. I was juggling a lot of things in the background that weren't podcast related. And I felt like the podcast was starting to kind of be impacted by those. And so I literally just needed to take a little break. And so I recorded an episode one day that I think maybe went for 10 minutes, literally just telling my listeners that like, you know, like I've got, I'm taking a break. I'm not going anywhere. I will be back. I just need a little bit of time and space. And I'm really glad that I gifted myself that because it kind of 
two things happened. A, I got a mental break that I needed from the grind, I guess, in some respects of finding who I was going to interview, then scheduling the interview, then doing the interview, then all of the editing and producing and social media and marketing and everything that then goes with that. So I got a big break from that. I can remember now how long my break actually was. I'm going to say it was like maybe about eight weeks, something like that. It was always niggling in the back of my mind, like, I've got to come back. I've got to come back. How am I going to come back? Can I use this break in a way to actually change how I come back? Do I want to go back to the same topics, to the same grind, um, that sort of thing? So I used that time to to really have a good think about that. And then I decided I, I was really keen to get back. I actually started getting that itch of like, okay, I'm really ready to come back now. I'm missing the conversations. I'm missing the interviews. Every episode of mine is an interview. I think I've done maybe one or two solo interviews, solo episodes. Yeah, I was really missing it. And I was missing my connection with my audience, which is funny because I've had a conversation with so many people about how your podcast audience is really quite rare in in so many ways because you actually literally do not know who's listening. And and it's not like building a marketing list where you can email everybody once a week or having a Facebook group and you know who's in there. Your podcast audience is a little bit more untouchable in some in some ways if they choose to be. I know I've become friends on social media with certain listeners, but that's a rarity compared to I know how many people I actually have out there listening. And I missed my audience, even though I don't physically connect with them, I missed them. So I came back, but I decided that when I came back, I was going to continue with my weekly drops. So that that didn't change. But I decided to be a little bit more fearless and strategic with my content. And so as much as every episode is still about menopause, anybody that has been listening to, so what? I up to, okay, I think I'm about five or six episodes in now into season two. And I decided to speak a lot more openly about my frustrations with the lack of care and support for breast cancer survivors or anybody that's been through an induced menopause rather than focusing on the more natural menopause side of things, which was, you know, what a lot of my conversations had been about because that is the larger group of so now I'm the last few episodes that I've released have been, and I know I've got coming up because I've got a whole series of interviews banked, are very specifically targeted to breast cancer survivors, anyone that's been through an induced menopause. And I'm really questioning this people I'm speaking to and government on and the medical industry on why does this gap exist? What are you going to do to change it? So I kind of, I guess I'm using my voice in a slightly different way this season, which feels really good. But it's good that it sounds like this season you've got like a broad topic, which you're delving into different, different topics within that topic, but it's all, it is a focus. Yeah. So will you, when you finish this season, how many episodes are you going to do in it? Have you decided? Or I have it no idea. Or is going to be like season one and it'll be whenever? Yeah, pretty much. Like I, I'm not that strategic with it and I kind of like it that way. Yeah, I don't know. I get, I don't know whether I'll exhaust this topic that I'm speaking on now and then go, okay, you know what? I've probably done enough of that now and take a break again and then come back for a season three and then think about what angle do I take then? 
or will I just kind of keep rolling? Yeah, I, I literally can't answer that question for you right now. I love this. I, I love the fact that you're doing this by, you know, as you say, you're being fearless in that you're just rolling with it and doing what feels right and in the moment and going down this one path and seeing where it takes you. Whereas there are a lot of people, I think, within podcasting who are, my podcast is about this and it comes up, you know, this frequent, you know, this frequency of episodes and the time frame each episode has to be this length and very prescribed mm. and being, I would say, kind of stuck in that. Like, mm. there's, I, there's the creativity. My, yeah. And that's my fear. And I don't want fall into that space. I don't want to find myself in that space because I think I would lose the joy that I have right now still after 85 episodes, whatever I'm up to this week. Mm. Yeah. And I don't want to lose that. The other thing that I'm really, I'm really clear in my thinking about with my podcast is I want it to always be really engaging and I want my audience to enjoy listening to the conversations. You know, I have listened to a number of podcasts at different times because there's been someone on it that I thought, oh, I want to hear what they have to say. Some podcasts are really dull and there's no laughter and there's, you know, one of the pieces of feedback I get is I laugh. And I'm like, I have been known forever for my laugh. My laugh is loud. It's spontaneous. It's really raw and authentic. And I never hold it. And I love that that's something that my listeners have, have hooked onto as well and they enjoy. I think some people are a bit too afraid to laugh on their podcast. Mm. Then you can be informative with your topic, but also entertaining. Yeah. Absolutely. If you can't can't laugh about what's going on for you during menopause, what can you laugh about? Well, exactly. (laughs) What have been the surprising topics that you've come up with then that have made you laugh or your guests to laugh as well? Thinking question. Oh, look, any time that we talk about, you know, vaginal health or that always gets a giggle and, you know, and I make it fun and light because I want everyone to listen to the episode because it's so important. So, yeah, there's a wonderful, wonderful Brit, actually. No, she's American, American, but she's been in Australia for a long time. Sandy Davies, who created a product called Happy Paws, which is a vaginal moisturizer. And she, oh my God, she's funny. She's so, so funny. And we we had a really hilarious conversation on on the, the podcast with her because all we talked about was dry vaginas and, you know, but also in a really empathetic way as well. Like, it, like we weren't necessarily making fun of that condition because it's horrendous, but we were making fun of the fact that we were talking about vulvas and vaginas and, you know, sandpaper and <laughs> moisturizing. I want to know what I've been talking about with my phone in the vicinity because I had an ad for that come up in my in my Facebook newsfeed just yesterday and I'm like, is this product? I'm oh, I'll tell Sandy that the marketing is working. It's a great product. My dermatologist gave it the big thumbs up. It's a fantastic product. So head out there and buy some. Well, normalizing this conversation, I think, is something that we all need to do. Even if it, I mean, we start with a podcast, but then talking to our friends about that's it right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the other thing that I love about a podcast is there's that shareability of 
episodes. Like, you know, you can be listening and go, oh my God, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this the other day and share an episode. It doesn't mean they have to become a listener to, your, you know, to all episodes that you can just share that one episode. And it's so easy to do that. And I like, you know, technology is wonderful because if you share it as a text on your phone, like they don't even have to leave their, their texting to listen to it. It's just all there. It's so easy. The podcasts are so awesome for that. Can you remember the first podcast that you started listening to? Like what got you into yes. podcasts? Oh, true crime got me into podcasts. I the first the first podcast that I listened to that I remember as a series was Serial and it was the the true crime story of Adnan Syed a young American college student who was jailed for the murder of his girlfriend. I mean, most people are familiar with the story, but yeah, that, that was the first series that Serial did. And that hooked me into, into podcasts as a, almost like as a form of entertainment. Yeah. That's, that's my first memory of the podcast that sticks with me as being my first one that really hooked me in. How did you find out about it? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to hazard a guess that maybe somebody on social media or was talking about it or somebody somewhere was talking about it. And I remember we listened to it on a road trip, actually. We had been away camping with our kids and we were driving home and I said to my husband, oh, can we put this podcast on? You know, And we binged a number of episodes and my boys are now young adults. So I'm going to say this is like 10 odd years ago. And we were talking about Adnan Sayed around the dinner table the other night and um, because my youngest son has, is a huge podcast consumer as well and we share each episode uh, series and episodes and with each other all the time and I said to him oh do you remember that we were on a road trip once and we listened to the serial podcast and he goes uh, yeah how could I forget it you made us listen to it for the whole trip and my eldest son was there as well and goes yep I definitely remember listening to that and I was like that's so cool. Like, that's like, to me, something that I wouldn't have expected them to hold as a memory, but they both remember that story from the podcast. Will they go into podcasting too, just like their mum? Do you know what? We have hilarious conversations about that. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see my youngest pop up on a podcast at some point in time. And my eldest is the one that probably talks about it the most, but I don't see him actually <laughs> doing it. Yeah. I don't know if anybody had listened to his. It would be very random. Yeah, it's amazing though the the influence, the things that you say or do, and how the kids remember it. Yeah, yeah. My son's almost twelve, and yeah, there are some random things that come up in conversation. Oh, the funniest that I got the other day was so my youngest is twenty, my oldest is twenty three. So a lot of their lives are spent at pubs, and he, <laughs> and Ethan said that who's my youngest said that he. When people say to him, so, you know, what, do you, what does your mum do or what does your dad do? He goes, whenever they ask me what my mum does, I tell them you're an influencer. Excellent. Oh, can't do that. And he goes, yeah, but you to And I was like, no, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. I mean, what else could he say? I suppose he could say come out with a, lo a lot of different things, but without having yeah. to talk about menopause. Which... I suppose saying my mum talks about menopause for a living is probably pretty dry and dull. <laughs> Oh, he should probably listen to your episodes, though. They're definitely not dry and dull. Oh, no, because then he'd know how often I talk about them in my episodes, so <laughs> they definitely don't need to know that. Are you open to sharing anything you've learned 
from podcasting with others who may be thinking about starting to podcast or just just getting theirs out there? Absolutely. I think the biggest learning for me was I got advice when I was working with a business coach at the time and I said, part of what I'm doing with this big transition of my career is I'm going to, I want to launch a podcast and, you know, and she told me not to do it. She said, no, 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 you need to put that on ice because you need to focus on monetizing your business before you can do that. You need to have, have a profile and people need to know who you are. And I sat on that before I made any firm decisions and I decided to fire her and move forward with the podcast. <laughs> so my lesson there is trust your gut. Like if it's something you really want to do, then don't let anyone else tell you not to. And it's fun. And just give it a go. Like it's a little bit like me, you know, that, and this is my philosophy in life really is like you, you just have to give everything a go because, you know, you, you're either going to fail, which is not the end of the world. Like what you believe is failure, others don't necessarily see as failure. So that so failure is very personal experience. Or you're going to have some fun and you won't go to bed at night wondering what might have been. Well, that's a very valuable lesson. I've heard that you don't fail if you learn something. Absolutely. I'm not a huge fan of the word failure or failing. Like I don't, you know, every, there's always a lesson to be learned. And, and, you know, everything happens for a reason. And even if it's not the success that you thought it would be, you will have most definitely learned something from it. The other thing I would say is invest in good platforms or software to use if you're going to be like me and do your own editing and producing and that sort of thing you know using the right software and tools makes a huge difference what what do you use out of interest so I use I record on zoom and so that I can get the split audio tracks and then I upload those into Alitu which I use to produce my episodes in and then that syncs into Buzzsprout and I use Buzzsprout for my hat hosting yeah I love hearing what people use because there's so much variety out there. I know. And it's funny, a couple of times I've toyed with the idea of swapping and kind of, um, you know, looked around at Riverside and, you know, some of the other kind of, I suppose, more well-known all-in-one kind of platforms. I'm kind of scared. I, I actually love the setup that I've got now and I find both of them really easy to use and the fact that they talk to each other makes it way easier. But yeah, the thought of, moving is actually kind of scary yeah and if it's not broken yeah you don't I need to fix it. anything yeah I haven't actually we haven't talked about how you got into menopause you mentioned before you were a personal trainer so what was it that led you to go down this route of now being the menopause mentor <laughs> and I don't use that word mentor anymore either oh, it's um yeah I know and I think I've still got it floating around somewhere on some description because a couple of people have used it recently and it makes me kind of cringy not for any reason other than I don't perceive myself as a mentor I don't work with anyone one-on-one -on -one, so I think a mentor has a much more one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship with people so I so I've been a personal trainer for about 13 14 years now and in um, 2017, I was 47 and I found a lump in my breast and was diagnosed with breast cancer. I went through a year of treatment for that. And as a result of my chemotherapy, went into what's called an induced menopause. So the conversation I had with my oncologist was, 
uh, at our first appointment when I was still very traumatized by the diagnosis and kind of had my head in the clouds significantly. And all I really cared about at that point was, will I survive? And he said, oh, look, given how close you are in age to your natural menopause, it's likely that you'll go into an induced menopause with your chemo treatment. That was it. And I kind of went, okay. And then my experience of the care or lack of that I got, the education lack of that I got as a result of being handed off from my oncologist at the end of all my active treatment to a GP was huge. There's a big gap there, massive gap, and most women fall through it quite significantly. So I struggled big time um, with my symptoms. I struggled to get support around that. And I took me, it took about three years of physical and kind of, you know, emotional and, and spiritual healing to get back to the place where I went back to work. And it was when I went back to work as a personal trainer that I started hearing from the women that I was working with that they were experiencing all these similar symptoms to what I'd had experienced, that they were going through natural menopause. And then I realized that. They were also uneducated and unsupported and had no idea what was going on or where to get help. So that I've always had a sciencey, researchy, nerdy brain. So that kind of sent me off down a rabbit hole to educate myself so that I could help them. At the same time, I was learning about myself. And then I started following certain people on social media, like Davina McCall and anyone that was kind of having the, the conversation and realized that there was an opportunity here to do what was happening over there for these women. So I kind of, I suppose it was a seed of an idea that came from working with my clients to going, you know what, actually I'm going to be the person. If no one else is going to do it, I'm going to be the person that opens up these conversations and starts letting women know what's going on. And yeah, it sounds like this, the journey that you've gone on with your podcast, it's it's something that's going to help not just the women that you were working with, but so many other women around the world. So thank you for doing this, Sonia. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love, it's nice to be on the other end of the, um, of the microphone and, you know, being asked questions. And it's also, you know, I'm so passionate about the topic. I'm obviously passionate about helping women and I'm passionate about podcasting. Mm. I love podcasting. Yeah. I always like to find out a couple of podcasts that my guests like to listen to themselves. So you mentioned before you're into true crime and Serial was the one that got you into podcasts. What podcasts uh, do you like to listen to at the moment? Can you give us a couple? Yeah, so I still have a couple of true crime ones that I keep up my sleeve when I want to be a bit more, I suppose it's going to sound terrible, but trashy with my listening. So they're like my, if I was to sit down in front of a TV and watch The Bachelor or, you know, Love Island or something like that. I go to true crime with a podcast. The two podcasts that have been on high rotation for me, one is called The Imperfects. So they're both Australian actually podcasts. So The Imperfects is brilliant. It's a bunch of younger guys in their 30s based in Melbourne. One of them was the founder of the Resilience Project. So they had come from a very psychological mental health aspect. But their concept for launching their podcast was that they would interview really well-known people, so other celebrities, sports stars, but actually about their mental health and any struggles that they'd had in that area. And they have this really cool segment that they call the vulnerability house. 
So they they get their their um, guests to be very vulnerable and open up about things they normally wouldn't, which is why it's called the imperfects. So it's like these people that we hold on pedestals, but they're actually, you know, we've all got stuff going on under the surface. And they are an amazing cast. I just have such huge respect for the conversations that they have and how they go about interviewing and chatting with their guests. The second one is an Australian podcast called Bang On, which is, it started off as a weekly podcast by two media giants, Miff Warhurst and Zanro, who anybody that is my age in Australia grew up listening to them on Triple J. They've always been part of the ABC kind of family here in the media. They're in their 40s. Myth, I think, has actually just turned 50. They're just the most incredible women. And they started this podcast. So they had a friendship. They never were on air together, but they had a friendship outside of that. They came together to do this podcast. And the concept is, you know, what are you banging on about this week? So that's where the, the name of the podcast kind of came from. But they call it, they talk about fashion, culture, and, you know, basically just all the kind of juicy, fun stuff that's going on in the world. You know, they talk a little bit about politics, but each week it's it's very, it's in real time. So they, I think they record on like a Wednesday or something and drop the episodes on a Thursday. So whatever they've talked about in that week is, is relevant to what's actually going on in the world at the time. And it's funny. The two of them together are hilarious. They're so knowledgeable. They're very, you know, anything to do with music, arts, fashion, life, they, they are all over it. And if they don't know, they say they don't know. Sometimes myth is even Googling on air while they're recording on certain things. Um, they're just, they're just fun. And they, their community of listeners are called the Bang Fam. And so there's a little secret signs if you're out and you bump into someone and you happen to notice that they're listening to, there's a little side there. Hey, Bang Fam. <laughs> and yeah, I I love them and I love what they've created with their podcast. It's good fun. Well, they both sound like awesome shows. I'm gonna have to check them out. Yeah, highly. Yeah. And Bang Fam, I or Bang On, I have listened to every episode since it was released. Wow. I guess that would probably be one of like a podcast if you had another podcast that you wanted to listen to and you have to drop one. That is one that stays. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah, that does not go I, anywhere. I think everyone's got their favorite podcast where it doesn't matter how many other podcasts you add to your playlist, there is a show that will never get dropped. Yeah, that's mine. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sonia. And we'll have links to everything that you have going on in the show notes so people can, if they love the sound of what you're doing, they can get more from you. So. Thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about menopause and everything else that we've, we've talked about today. Oh, thank you so much, Alison. And thank you for shining a light on female podcasters. It's so important. And yeah, there's lots of great voices out there that deserve to be heard and recognized. Yeah. Let's get some more women in the top 10. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Globally. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Alison. So if you've been thinking about taking a break, just know that it's been done before, that it's open to you, and you can change your podcast when you return. You can find links to Sonia's podcast and those she mentioned in the show notes. If starting a podcast is on your 2023 goals list, let's get started on that today. I'm helping six women start their show in an intimate, intensive one-day session. It's all done online with time for work and my guidance and support throughout. 
It's called the Launchpad. The first one is at an introductory price. By the end of our session together, you will have your podcast up and running and you'll have your first 12 episodes planned out. There's lots of support for you. So if you are wanting to do a podcast this year, then please go to the link in the show notes. It is just limited to six women. So if this is you and you're in Eastern Australia or New Zealand, then jump on now. That's it from me in this episode. I'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Women Who Podcast, the podcast for women with something to say.